Hello and welcome to today's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called The Great Energy Heist. This year we've talked a lot about the energy crisis in Australia, and every time you think things can't get worse, they do. The Resources Minister Madeleine King has signed a nothing deal with the energy companies that allows them to continue to rob the Australian people. This morning's developments in the sector have prompted a last-minute change of episode, so we'll run the episode titled The One Thing That Could Kill Inflation Next Week. Here to tackle the subject with us, uh, we have our outspoken chief strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. Dave, welcome. Hi, Sam. And as always, we have Damien Klassen, uh, Nucleus Wealth's chief investment officer. Damo, welcome. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. I'm sure everyone listening is looking forward to continue, uh, continue to hear the conversation unfold. Uh, just a quick housekeeping message. Uh, before we get started, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on all the majors. You can also ask any questions for those of you watching live. Uh, we'll do our best to answer them during the show. And as always, if you'd like to look at the slides in more detail, we'll post them in the show notes this afternoon and you can view these uh, in the episode at nucleuswealth.com forward slash webinars. So now we've got that housekeeping out of the way, I'll uh, hand over you, Damo, to give us a bit of background info on, on the subject. Yeah, so um, we've obviously dealt with this a couple of times over the, over the last uh, couple of months. And uh, the reason why we're so, so focused on it is because it is uh, going to make a huge difference for, for anyone who's looking to invest in Australia um, for the next couple of years. So, so basically what we're looking at is, is an energy price shock. Um, Australia is one of the largest uh, energy exporters in the world. Um, we have full capability to have much lower um, energy prices, as we're seeing in, in Western Australia, where, where we do have lower um, energy prices. So, so there's, Australia absolutely has capability. Uh, having said that, though, uh, we're not using any of that capability. And um, arguably, uh, you know, we've got a... Um, you know, a, a bit of a fracturing in terms of the uh, the labour uh, government in terms of you know some parts of it um, basically pushing the lines of the energy cartel and, and other other sides pushing the, the sides of the manufacturers and and uh, the Australian people uh, and, and at the moment the uh, the ones that are winning is, are the ones sort of siding on the on the energy cartel now if the if um, current systems go through current current sort of um, uh, settings go through in terms of it we're probably looking at about a, an inflation increase of about three um, uh, percent to the to the Australian inflation rate over the next over the next year uh, or so as, as these energy higher energy prices come through plus it's going to be pretty devastating to the uh, the Australian manufacturing sector and a whole bunch of companies in that are, are really going to suffer so you know for anyone um, who, who's looking to invest or has investments in the Australian um, stock market you know this is probably the most uh, the most key um, issue you get after after um, you know, rates and um, and sort of global outlook and so uh, you know it really is really will be telling in terms of whether um, you look at Australia and say look I've just got to avoid it because of the because uh, of the settings in the in, in the energy sector or um, or whether you know you can you can tolerate some some investments within the uh, within the Australian market and so for that reason um, you know what's basically happened is um, we've had a 
uh, we'll go a little bit more into detail, but we basically had an agreement from um, uh, Madeline King, the resources minister, signed uh, a week or two ago, which is which is basically, um, uh, it, you know, from my reading of it, is a, a complete rollover and basically letting um, energy companies do whatever they want in terms of pricing uh, and, and giving no protections to, to uh, Australian uh, consumers in terms of prices and Australian manufacturers. Uh, and then at the same time, we've got the uh, the union starting to step up, and 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 they've obviously you know given it given a week or so to 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 um, uh, for this to factor through. The unions and, and Ed Husick have both uh, Ed Husick, who's a manufacturer, who's a minister for helping for, with manufacturing, is is starting to speak up and, and and looking for changes. And so you know this will be quite telling in terms of um, uh, in terms of where it goes at the moment. But that's with that sort of intro, I might hand over to Dave for uh, for more of the detail. Yeah, thanks, Damo. Um, I'll just add to that that uh, if if uh, the Labor government gets this wrong, then the shock uh, could be of uh, a much larger scale than what Damo's already described. So uh, that's why we are focused on it. So let's let's do a little bit of uh, potted history uh, to begin, and then we're going to roll through pretty quickly into what's happening today but it is important to understand where this has all come from. So it all started you know, pre and post GFC period when uh, there was a, an enormous kind of runaway boom in Australian LNG investment. Uh, on the East Coast in particular, it was focused on uh, terrestrial LNG, that is fracking, coal and gas, and build a whole bunch of capacity to ship that gas as LNG. Uh, in a place called Curtis Island to offshore. So what this did in effect was link the Australian gas market to the global gas market. And so when these plants opened in 2014, uh, Australian local gas prices naturally rose to parity with international prices. Uh, but they didn't just stop there. They kept going up and they went above international prices. And the reason for that was that uh, the gas cartel that was running these LNG plants had uh, dominated all reserves uh, and then created this, this situation where they controlled all the exports as well. And so they could more or less set the Australian price anything any in any manner that they, they cared to. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, Australia allowed, in a sense, an energy cartel to form on its east East Coast gas reserves, and it, it started behaving exactly how you would expect it to, which makes you wonder why uh, we never did anything to stop it in the first place. But that comes to a very, very crucial point. Uh, one of the reasons why we didn't do anything, A, we actually don't have a regulatory regime to approve these projects, not an official kind of formal structure. And the, and the regime that we do have tends to be environmentally focused and you know, these projects had to go through that approval process. And when they did, they all, they all gave kind of undertakings that they had enough reserves of their own. And in particular, one of the projects that was being engineered by Santos uh, found itself, it added a second train and a lot more capacity rather suddenly as this bubble grew uh, and immediately promised absolutely everybody that it had enough reserves. But the moment it opened its two trains, or it's doubled capacity, uh, it ran out into the broader market and bought up all the, the other third-party gas. Uh, Actually, can, so, I, 
Can I just give a little bit of an overview as well on that? So just to, just to make sure that people are aware, you know, in Western Australia, that's not the case. Western Australia does yeah. have a gas reservation system. And so gas prices stayed low in, in Western Australia, despite being a massive exporter and opening up um, you know, a number of different plants over there as well, yep. um, which is doing the same thing. Um, this is basically saying that on the, and that was largely um, oil and gas. So, so so basically, sorry, gas, gas fields, offshore gas fields, they were sort of tapping in terms of that. The, the East Coast ones tend to be, um, some of it's um, gas fields, but, but a lot of it tends to be the coal seam gas. So basically they, um, they, they frack the rocks um, in, in, in basically seams of coal deep underground, and, and then the gas comes up. And, um, and what Dave's talking about is that, you know, they spoke about, yes, they will develop their own reserves, and then that, that's what they will be exporting. And all this extra cheap gas that was in Australia already would be would be available for for locals. But what's happened is they've actually gone and bought up everyone else's. So not that they haven't got enough to, to to export themselves. So they're buying up all the cheap stuff locally and then selling it overseas at a, at a huge markup. That's right. And so we ended up with a higher gas price here than we did uh, in all of our export markets. You know, kind of between 2014 and leading up to 2017. Um, so one more thing just before we move forward with that story is uh, um, this is a very concentrated sector, gas, in Australia. We're only really talking about three major operations that might have uh, one, maybe 10 or 12 companies attached, but it's three major operations, so it's not diversified at all. It's a genuine cartel. Uh, we'll come back to the question of coal later, and I just wanted to flag that the coal sector is a lot more fragmented. Than, than gas. So, so we got to, um, oh, hang on, what order am I going to do this in? I'll cut this back to front. Uh, oh no. So, look, I'll, I'll do, I'll do, so we got to 2017 and, uh, you know, the fact that we were paying more gas for, for, you know, at home than we were in our Asian customers, despite the fact that we have to freeze it and ship it over there as well, uh, it triggered something of an outrage by about 2017. And the Turnbull government of the day created what is called the Australian Domestic Gas Security Mechanism. And this was just a handshake agreement with the cartel uh, that, that basically you know, use moral suasion, if you like, political pressure, uh, forcing the cartel to drop the local price. And so from 2017 to uh, to really the Ukraine war, the price, you know, kind of oscillated around $10 below, a little above sometimes, a lot of time below it. Uh, and uh, during the COVID shock, for instance, it got very low. And even before that, it got quite low in Asia too. Uh, so the ADGSM, as it's now called, you know, worked quite well for, for you know, for, un, until this year, basically, and uh, until we had the Ukraine war shock earlier this year and Russia started to pull gas uh, supply off Europe, which then triggered a mad scramble by Europe to find gas in the, in the uh, global seaborne market, which is where LNG is traded, uh, and that drove... You know, prices crazy everywhere. So we'll have a look at how crazy these prices got. Um, uh, so as I said, once we had the ADGSM in place, we were oscillating around, you know, eight or ten dollars for the most part. Uh, then when we, you know, we had the Ukraine war earlier this year and hit ourselves, uh, you know, pretty pretty cold winter. 
Um, the the local Australian gas price roared up to you know sort of fifty and sixty dollars. Um, now this was tracking global prices as well. And what I've got here is a chart called JKM. That's the Japan Korea marker, which is basically the North Asian gas price that our spot LNG is shipped on. This is uh, probably around 40% of total volumes. The majority of it is still shipped in a, on a on contract basis, which is measured by um, oil prices. And so those prices are a lot lower. That's probably around $14. So we're talking about spot prices here for the most part because that's the one that matters to Australia, uh, Australian domestic prices. So, um, so at the same time as it was going crazy in... in uh, in all of these LNG shipping prices and our local price took off um, because, of course, you know, we're, we're now attached to global prices because we've got these LNG plants. Um, LNG and thermal coal almost operate as, as a single commodity. They're basically competing over the same thing, which is, you know, fuel inputs into, you know, fixed energy. Uh, or fixed electricity production. Uh, and so while LNG took off, so did thermal coal. Uh, and that has important implications because, you know, the Australian, uh, uh, the national electricity market, which is Australian energy production everywhere, more or less uh, east of Western Australia, um, still uses quite a lot of coal, especially in New South Wales and Queensland, and it uses quite a bit of gas as well. And so when these two fuels went, fuel prices went nuts globally, and then those prices came home because these two markets are attached to global prices, um, our own electricity price went completely bananas uh, and did so really through, through the middle of winter, has since come down a fair bit, but is still wildly higher than it used to be. We used to trade you know, around $50 a megawatt hour. At the moment, it's still hovering around about 150 uh, And the thing is about these two fuel markets, um, in international futures pricing, there's just no relief on these high prices for as far as these futures markets run. Because I, I'm not sure that that's actually accurate. I think that, you know, maybe within two, three years, European transition off gas will actually start to drop this demand. But, you know, at least medium term, this shock just continues. And so those global prices will come back to Australia. Uh, so uh, back that, to East Coast Australia again. Uh, back to East Coast Australia. Yeah, just to confirm right. that this just is not a... Confirm. Yes, yeah, it's, not, it's not in WA because they have their domestic reservation and they don't use much coal anyway. So um, so they're, they're all, all fine and dandy over there. So that brings us up more or less to where we are, where we got to in the last few months. And, you know, because we've had this, this huge rise in these energy prices, energy fuel prices, and then our electricity price as a direct result, uh, you know, we've, we've, that's put an enormous pressure on the government to do something about it, of course. And so what they did was go back to the existing regime that had been put in by the Terminal government, that is the domestic gas reservation mechanism um, and renegotiate it with the gas cartel. They haven't done anything about coal. In fact, they've hardly even mentioned it. And this is a major oversight that's going to come back to bite them as well. Uh, but for the time being, we're dealing with gas. And um, so uh, it ended up that Madeleine King, the resources minister of the day uh, in the new Labor government, 
was tasked with renegotiating this agreement with the cartel and she's done a very poor job. Uh, uh, she basically has, has uh, done a worse deal than the existing one um, because it, at the end of the day, the international price of gas is still sitting at about 60 Australian dollars uh, and she agreed to allow the Australian price to rise effectively to the international price. Now, at the moment, the local price is sitting at 20 bucks or so. It was, as I said, at 50, but all this political shenanigans has driven it down. Uh, but now, basically, the resources minister tasked to fix this issue has made it a lot worse by giving the, the cartel permission to drive it back up. And, Today, and also as well, that the, the other, um, the original one had this idea of a net back, which is basically saying, okay, well, if if it's costing, say, $5 a gigajoule to, to do all the freezing and sending it overseas, that the Australian gas price should be at least $5 below what the international one is, whereas that's pretty much disappeared from the new one. There's, I think the, 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 the wording's gone to something. I don't know. The new one. They have an, they have no, an no, item. No, the new one does actually makes explicit that they can't go above net back. Uh, oh, really? I thought, yes. I thought it was. No, no, uh, that's, that's why she's claiming that it's a good deal. The problem uh, okay. is that. Uh, when, yeah, when the original <laughs> netback price was floated as a possibility by the Turnbull government, mm. um, you know, it was $10. The netback price now is 60 Yeah. And so it does nothing except yes. triple prices. So uh, as Damo said, as things stand, because the cartel is yet to push prices back up to the $60 level, they're still sitting at 21 which is still nosebleed levels. Do not be mistaken. That is a price at which manufacturing will collapse uh, and power bills will go up roughly 60%, uh, power and gas bills, and that represents a CPI shock of roughly 3%. But if the cartel does what the new agreement says it can, then that will turn into a 10% CPI shock. Uh, energy bills will double for every business and um, household east of Western Australia by 200%. They'll triple. Uh, so, you know, this is completely untenable uh, if you have a political brain in your head because obviously households are going to revolt. Uh, and if you're a manufacturer, well, it's just the end of your business. So you're you're obviously going to to take that on in a political sense. Um, and the unions are have, have come out as well as the industry minister Ed Husick and and declared this outright basically against their own government. Said that this is just scandalous, ridiculous, farcical, uh, and uh, and it's going to destroy everything other than mining in Australia. Um, we've also had energy CEOs in revolt uh, from, you know, the, the uh, basically the energy retail side and the energy producers who have to use this super expensive fuel because, because they can't necessarily pass on all the costs. Uh, and so their margins are being destroyed and they're all in revolt too. So, you know, this new ADGSM, is an absolute disaster across the board for everyone other than the energy cartels, which is, you know, so so in effect, what we've got uh, is, um, I, I guess you would call a coalition of resistance uh, that is forming 
to try and overturn this decision, and it is full of some pretty powerful players. Uh, we might even describe what the position we've got to as overreach by the energy cartels, uh, because you know the Labor Party can't ignore its energy minister. Ed Husick is quite close to the prime minister. It can't ignore all of the unions that are simply going to so going to have uh, you know there's still nearly a million manufacturing jobs in Australia that are just going to evaporate. Um, you know there are, are huge interests at risk here um, that that uh, the resources minister Madeline King has simply like rolled over like a steamroller. Now this brings us to Madeline King, and this is where this story turns from the. Uh, outrageous to the completely comedic um, and if you look at what she's been up to over the last month or so um, the resources minister has signed this new ADGSM and along with it came a code of conduct which was supposed to address all of the terrible terribly bad cartel behaviors that the gas suppliers have been up to um, uh, however if I've supplied you here with a couple of documents. One is the cover page for the Code of Conduct, and it was clearly written by the lawyers of the cartel. Right? They've composed this Code of Conduct uh, in, common, in, in conjunction with the lawyers and with the, the oil and gas lobby Appia. Uh, now, that is entirely inappropriate, of course. This is a... This is, Basically, you're writing your own rules. You're writing your own rules. I mean, and then along comes the minister and says, look at this great deal I've struck, and she just signed the contract they wrote for themselves. So that's the first cab off the rank in terms of what Madeleine King's been up to and how badly she has performed in this for Australians and, well, pretty much everybody other than the cartel itself. Um, And now in in the last couple of days, as this has really started to explode, especially within the government itself, it's actually kind of developing into a civil war within the government. Um, Madeleine King has disappeared on a gas and oil junket into WA. And I've supplied you here with her her declarations of of of, uh, of gifts and and stuff that she has to declare to the parliament. Uh, and over the over this week, she is unavailable basically to the media or anyone else for questioning because she's on a junket onto an oil, on oil platforms in WA. Now, paid for by, paid by, for by Appia the Lobby, the same people who produced the code of conduct. So we just have to ask the question: Has Madeline King, the Resources Minister, been kidnapped at this point? She's unavailable to comment. There, she's being represented by an underling in the national press who's just you know blathering whatever um you know the company line is uh and is mad king like has she been physically kidnapped morally kidnapped is this corruption uh is it literally a mob a mob is this is this gangsters that have taken our resource minister and imprisoned her on an oil rig is she there voluntarily we don't know because we have no access to her at this moment of national crisis. And obviously this is just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, it's It goes way beyond any kind of sensible probity for, for policy making. Um, it, you know, ironically, on the other hand, you've got the Albanese government trying to put in an ICAC, you know, which is an anti-corruption commission for federal politicking. And at the same time, it's got its resources minister running around on junkets whilst signing... 
you know, self-regulation stuff that trashes the entire nation. So it, it's crazy stuff. This is why uh, uh, the revolt is intensifying because it is so bananas. Uh, and so the issue is coming to a head, if you like. It's not going to go away. So, uh, you know, we really need to kind of figure out what's going to, where it's going to go and what they're going to do um, for equities, but also for, uh, you know, fixed interest markets in Australia, because uh, I mean, obviously this is going to have a huge input into inflation. Uh, and on that front, you know, we had as a part of this kind of crazy civil war that began this year and this week in the government, we've had the treasurer come out and say, yes, energy is the critical input into inflation over the next year. That's the thing that we're most worried about. Uh, the RBA, you know, they're, they're particularly concerned about what it will do to the RBA, uh, as well as real incomes. Um, and and yet, on the other hand, you know, it's you've got the resources minister making all of this worse. At the same time, the Treasurer has also said we can't possibly do anything about it. It would upset the miners. Uh, and you've got the industry minister just tearing the government to shreds, backed, well, and by, backed by the unions. And so you have you have this, uh, well, chaos, basically. And then you have nothing from the Prime Minister to bring it all together. So, And, it, and keeping in mind, just to put you know, the, the Treasurer's position in, in, in context, is that he was sort of part of the government that... Um, that that fell. What was his position again? That, that uh, he was an assistant treasurer. Assistant Wayne treasurer, Swan. yeah. When yeah. the when they tried to put the resources tax in, and then got rolled by the resources companies, and so um, you know possibly has some PTSD from um, from last time he was in and, and messed with the resources companies. Well, I mean, there are labour sources openly openly declaring that he's damaged goods uh, from that experience, and I think I think we can see that in his. Um, failure to address it and and allowing it to become uh, such a divisive issue. You know, they they actually had the perfect opportunity to resolve this uh, through the process they started with commissioning the ACCC report, which which painted a, a, oh. a monstrous picture yeah. of what, the, of what the cartel was up to, and then they've come out with a, a zero answer. And it looked, uh, it looked like clever politics at the time. I thought I it did. looked like they, they were basically said, okay, let's get the ACCC to have a look at this. We'll use them as their, our, um, you know, they're the black hat guy. They come out and, 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 and trash the, the energy stuff, and then we come in with a solution. But instead what's happened is they've come in and trashed it, and then they've gone, well, let's just keep everything the same. Yeah. Well, actually, let's, sorry, not, not that. Let's well, make things worse. And as, as a result, Jim Chalmers, the treasurer, who I like to call Chicken Chalmers, is, is now daily describing his own policy failures. Like he's been, he's been rendered, you know, almost his own critic um, because he's got nowhere else to go but to just describe what's happening. So he keeps telling everybody how disastrous it's going to be while doing nothing about it. It's become very, very odd rhetorically as well so 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 what are the answers what can they do to fix this how can they bring these interests together and try and get them over the line and, and get some rationality back into things um, so before chicken Chalmers fled himself to i think an imf meeting this week uh he mentioned in the press that they might focus on on the code of conduct uh which as we know was composed by the gas cartel. Now, that's 
not very useful for starters. Uh, if they were to insert a price guide into the code of conduct, there is no legal obligation for the cartel to match it. Um, there's actually no legal, legal obligation in the ADGSM either. All of this is working as a handshake and a moral obligation. Um, so it doesn't really fix anything, and I doubt that the cartel would pay much attention to it anyway. Uh, but that might be the next next cab off the rank, if you like, as a solution, uh, as a short-term attempt at a solution that I don't think will work. Um, now, there's a, there's a secondary issue here that I keep coming back to without really addressing much, and that is coal is also a big problem for the Australian electricity price, um, especially in Queensland and New South Wales, where coal is much more dominant in terms of energy production. Uh, it's the same in Victoria, but it's brown coal, uh, which is not attached to the global market. So those prices are contained. Um, but the black coal that's used in, in New South Wales and, and Queensland, those prices are set globally. And so uh, even if gas is fixed, it will certainly help Victoria, South Australia and Tasmanian prices, electricity prices. But coal will still keep New South Wales and Queensland electric, electricity prices too high. And so there's another layer to this that the government hasn't even uh, encapsulated, let alone addressed yet. Uh, coal will be much more difficult to do as well. It's much more fragmented, so reservation is is much harder to do in a practical sense, finding a mechanism that actually allows you to do it. So where does that leave you? There are very easy solutions to all of it, um, but they come back to Damo's point of having a government that is terrified of miners because the last time the Labor Party was in power, they virtually got thrown out by a mining revolution or a mining coup because of attempted taxes. So, you know, they're going to have to do something, but what they're going to do is just difficult to fathom. A lot of people are calling for super profits taxes. That's what the UK has done. Uh, Europe is also looking at that. So, you know, there are precedent for them to follow. But there are very big problems with super profits taxes as well. Uh, the, the number one being in today's environment, you know, they are actually pretty inflationary um, because you, you know, you uh, allowing the energy prices to spike, which will give you the inflation, and then you're giving the money back to people, which is more money to spend, and so you're actually doubling down on, on, you know, some of the inflationary impacts of the problem. Uh, so. That's got a, a very big problem in it. Um, there's, a, there's a very good solution to all of this in export levies, which, uh, you know, basically you just set a price for both gas, LNG and, uh, sorry, for, yes, for LNG and coal. Uh, you do pre-Ukraine war pricing, um, where you just set a price for both of those and say, this is the price, you know, that is a fair return on investment and anything above that, any revenue above that is immediately just goes straight to the uh, to the national treasury instead of to the companies. Um, and that, one, that, that, that does a number of different things. It channels an enormous revenue stream um, from the war shock into the Australian treasury, which is appropriate given that it's 
it's a windfall profit based on on a war that the companies really are not entitled to and the Australian people own that resource and should get that money. But at the same time, it crashes the local price because you've erased the connection to the international price. Uh, and so that is just a win, 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 win. It also doesn't uh, affect volumes. So, you know, this notion of sovereign risk evaporates. So that's just a brilliant solution. The problem with it is, of course, you will be erasing the super profits of both coal and LNG, and so you'll have a war well, with with those interests. And having said that, though, you're erasing the local ones. I'm assuming this isn't on. It's not priced on the what's exported, though. Oh no, it is. So, oh right, so you're saying do the oh. do both imports and exports? Yeah, both, no, it's an export, though, export. So you right. you take you take it all. Yeah. So that that this is their worst nightmare, basically, for for miners, but. Uh, it's the best solution as well. So, um, and it's actually an appropriate solution too, but it's the kind of thing that, that you know, keeps uh, the treasurer charmers up, you know, into the wee small hours of the night and makes him reach for the revolver. So I'm not sure we're going to get there. Well, and I'd say as well, there's, sorry, the intermediate one though, is, so one is you say there's a super profits tax on local you let you let exporters they no, can no. export what they want. No, 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 no. Yeah. Super prices taxes are on everything but, as well. Yeah, um, uh, and you know, and the other solution, of course, is the domestic reservation. But as we discussed through this, it's quite difficult um, to do that on coal. Is is the problem? So um, the export levies are, are absolutely the A one solution, but they're also the politically the one that you're going to pick the biggest fight with the miners. I actually think it would be a great idea to pick that fight. And if you've got the, the nuts to carry it through, I can't see why you wouldn't win it hands down. We're talking about, you know, coal miners and, and a gas cartel. You know, it's not the same as the super profits tax that was, you know, aimed largely at iron ore, which is, you know, kind of national champion stuff in in Australians' heads. And so there was some sympathy for for miners in that case. In this case, it's just globe-trotting, globe-destroying evil and, you know, just bloody take the money. I, I just can't see the downside, to be honest. Anyway, I, they're, they're cowardly and I'm not sure they'll get there. I think the worst case is probably the most likely outcome here, which is what they may end up doing is energy subsidies uh, and they may not even get a super profits tax to pay for them. Now, this would be the worst case scenario because, in effect, we would be issuing debt to pay the cartels whilst boosting inflation. Um, because, you know, the government's got to find the money somewhere to offset the energy bills and to subsidise them, send out checks to households and businesses. Uh, that's either going to come out of higher taxes or, or new issued debt. Uh, <clears throat> and then all that, all you're doing is, is uh, in effect, channeling that money to the energy cartels, um, whilst people will have more money, more money to spend, and so you'll make your inflation problem worse. Uh, and so, unfortunately, I think that that's probably the, the, the most likely outcome because it's politically the most easy, where you just say, okay, well, we'll just pay people. Uh, so their bills aren't so bad, uh, but it is it would be a horrific result. Um, so those are your your uh, policy options. Um, 
you know, we're, we're obviously going to see some kind of um, resolution to this in the near term. Well, we, we, I don't know about obviously. Um, we're hoping. Well, no, I think we're going to have to have something. because You can't have a government in civil war over something as critical as energy. I mean, yeah, these days the press will eat you alive if you've got any kind of conflict with any government. And this is yeah. this is extreme well, conflict. It's ext yeah, but the press hasn't <coughs> even reporting on it. No, without... With, I don't know, yeah. not yet, but they will. Yeah. I hope so. I hope, so. I hope you're oh, right. I think because they will. My, uh, my concern is that at the moment you've got Ed Husick uh, on one side and um, uh, Chalmers and, and Albanese in the... Let me just see if I can do nothing and hope hope this goes away. And um, Madeline King's already signed the, uh, the, the 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 thing for the other side. And so yeah, I, um, I, I take you just point. Sort of had this view that look, I hope it goes away. And and what do we need to do? Do we need to replace Ed Husey <laughs> with somebody more, uh, you know, less with less of a backbone? Than well, that's that's certainly possible. Maybe mm. he could get the chop. Uh, but that said, uh, I think the, the coalition of resistance here is the most encouraging thing. Like it's mm. it's just not just Ed Husey, it's the unions. <clears throat> yeah. And perhaps even more importantly, it's it's all the CEOs on the receiving end of this. And mm. th this is at the moment, it's only the energy CEOs. Once this develops more of a head of steam, it actually should in, should incorporate everybody else in the Business Council of Australia. They should all be up in arms. They're all going to get stuffed by this. There are all their margins are going to get squeezed uh, mm. and demand's going to get trashed and it's going to hurt both top and bottom lines for everybody other than the cartels. So, I mean, I could be wrong, of course, but I think that there's a, a sort of irreversible head of steam coming here in the revolt, which, uh, you know, We'll need to dress, redress, I think. But well, yes, and the you're question absolutely is, right. I mean, it could all just like yeah. disappear again. But as yes. you said, and, and it takes a while. And they like, could kidnap Ed Husick next. Yeah, well. and the, and the thing is, we're in the phase now where you know spring is the best time for for renewables. Like you know, we don't have much heating. We don't much have don't have much cooling around Australia. We've usually got lots of sunshine. Um, so yeah. you know, we we actually generate a lot of um, lot of renewable energy, and so um it it might not come to a head you know and then, and then you hit summer and, and you and you probably you know depending if it's not a you know i think we're we're looking at a relatively rainy summer aren't we so so maybe there's not a lot of um heating not as much heating as you might need yeah um and so uh, it's, maybe it's, it's maybe it's, the problem doesn't really come to a head until till next um winter, winter. And, and if it does you know it comes to a head where are we, you know so it's so you know by june july maybe People are finally getting the bills that are like, and suddenly getting this massive shock to the. Oh my god, my my electricity bills just doubled, tripled. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, there's a if there's a um, let's just hope things get better, which is often a, which is I think probably the default for most governments you know, when faced with a crisis is um, yeah. it might take a long time. <clears throat> it may well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I who can say? Yeah. I mean. That, that is, is I guess, the, um, well, that's the status quo, isn't it? So, mm. you know, that may be the safer bet. I'm not sure. I'm just, but I just am seeing a lot of... We have to uh, be watching it, is it, regardless of whichever... whichever yeah, that, that, yeah, there's definitely, a, um, you know, like a, a, a coalescence of interests against it, and they're strong. 
They are yes. powerful. So I just, I can't see it falling away entirely. And they do entirely. have the moral right on the side. <laughs> well, they do. And, they, and, and the more the bills come them. through, the more upset the polity is going to be. So, hmm. so anyway, so investment implications, I mean, in terms of immediate stuff, I think I agree with Damo anyway. It's probably not a short-term issue um, for markets, Australian markets, because I think, you know, the cyclical pressures coming to bear globally are going to outweigh this anyway. Uh, and maybe that's the tipping tipping between the debate Damo and I, I just had. Maybe that means that there's, you know, it'll take some of the pressure off enough for them not to do anything immediately. Um, but if it's left to fester for very long, it is going to be, uh, you know, a structural shock for the economy. Um, uh, now, that probably takes two forms. The first will be uh, in manufacturing will collapse in Australia. It's just not going to be competitive uh, under those circumstances with these levels of gas prices and electricity prices just will go out of business. So we'll see a lot of, of uh, shedding of jobs in that sector. And, and put that in context, we, we usually had a uh, quite a low energy price relative to, say, Asia. So yeah. Australian, um, you know, not as low as the US, but certainly lower than Europe and, and lower than Asia. And so that was sort of a bit of a competitive advantage that, that Australian manufacturers who were using gas sort of had. Was that um, yeah? We had this locally cheap, cheap, uh, cheap energy, and now we've basically gone from well, five to ten dollars a gigajoule to sixty dollars. So yeah, you know, you've, you've basically you, you for for some of these guys, it's you know their their biggest import has basically gone up ten times in terms yeah. of the yeah, that's right. Um, <clears throat> so well, yes, we'll be seeing that now. The other big one and in aggregate probably even larger at least in in sort of dollar gdp terms is the impact on inflation at at, at current prices uh you know it's manageable and the rba will trim a lot of it out anyway because you'll see these, these will be uh you know the very large movements in the cpi that they trim out of core uh, and and so when they say when david says they trim it out so so what the rba is basically got there's there's two well there's there's lots of different inflation measures, but one one measure is what what is real inflation. What what's the what's what's the, the aggregate inflation? But the other one is what does the RBA think they can influence, and that's the one where they trim out um, large sort of extremes, and that's where uh, a lot of these yeah wouldn't end up. So that yeah, sort of, so that's what trim mean. The problem is though, energy being an input into everything is that you know, the 3% that we're talking about at the moment is comprised of 2% of energy and then 1% of spillovers. Now, that could be more, it could be more or less, uh, but the spillovers will be very difficult for the RBA to trim out. In fact, they won't be able to trim those out, meaning that every business that you deal with will be looking to pass on, the, the you know, its, it's rising utility bill and its prices. So uh, the RBA can trim the initial shock out, but not, not the secondary effects, yeah. and they will be bad enough. And, and also the um, the big issue, obviously, is that, uh, I mean, this is effectively an extra tax on, on Australian consumers. So, um, you know, for, you, for your average uh, household who's who's just had their 
um, you know, their, their mortgage, well, or, or about to have their, their mortgage reset to a, to a much higher level, um, then to go, well, you also need to pay an extra couple of grand a year in, in energy costs, um, you know, will affect what they can spend on for the, in the rest of the economy. So a big hit yes. to demand. Yeah. Yes, it will. Uh, and that will be made even worse by, <clears throat> excuse me, um, structurally higher interest rates. Which is the other impact of this if it's allowed to run, uh, which would mean lower house prices, of course, um, versus you know alternative scenarios. And so that gives you a you know a kind of combined household industrial weakness over the medium term uh, that you know potentially becomes a structural adjustment versus our old our old model of selling dirt uh, and then. Uh, leveraging that dirt into house prices to drive services demand and industries. We would, in fact, instead have some structural deflation in that model where house prices can no longer rise because interest rates are, sh are shunted higher uh, by, you know, an energy shock that has medium-term implications. So at this point, I wouldn't say we're there yet, but we're definitely on that path. And if the kidnapped Madeline King's New Deal is allowed to run, that's where we will go, definitely. And of course, we, we then have to factor in the question of, will the government do something about that? So this is why it is an ex existential question for Australia and we keep returning to it. Um, so short term, you know, you probably don't need to be too concerned about it, but over the medium term, it's enormous uh, and absolutely vital. Mm. And and in, and in um, you know I guess in in a big picture sense, what sort of driving investment for us investment sort of strategy for us is okay. We've got this global sl slowdown coming down coming down the uh, down down the uh, the freeway. So we're looking at uh, you know higher interest rates and and you know strong chance of recession in in a, a number of countries, uh, falling earnings, and so um, you know you've got the term sort of baked in. Now the question is, as that sort of comes to its um, yeah, as that sort of comes to a conclusion and, and you get equity prices falling to more reasonable levels and, and um, you, you start talking about what are you going to invest in for the for the recovery, that's where this really comes into play because, you know, without this, you sort of go, okay, well, look, there's a number of factors. We look at Australia and, and um, you know, we actually have a, we're, from a from a renewables perspective, we've actually got this huge benefit. We've actually got a lot more renewables than a lot of others. We've got a lot of other countries. We've got these great solar resources. Um, you know, there's all these actual benefits um, you could see for Australia coming out of this, um, you know, without, um, you, you, that sort of encourage you to, to have a bigger investment in Australia. But if you've got this overhang of the rest of the world will be recovering while we're still copying it from, um, from higher energy prices, then all of a sudden your investment needs to switch as to what assets you're buying sort of coming out of the, um, coming out of the, 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 the downturn over the next few years. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Uh, so now we have our viewer question of the week. Uh, so this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. The question for this week is, has Madeline King been kidnapped? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Um, I think I think that was your one, wasn't it, Dave? You must have come up with that one. I did, yeah. Well, I think it's a fascinating question. Yep, excellent. I mean, I think uh, so, the answer is the answer is yes. 
<laughs> we, need, we need to define what kidnapping is. Yeah. Uh, great. So I just want to let all the viewers know as well uh, that this coming Wednesday, we've got a live in-person event. Uh, it's called Meet the Managers. It's a little bit different from our podcast. Um, so it's at 6.30, uh, 6 p.m. on the 19th of October um, in our Melbourne office in Collins Street. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, yeah, Dame, I'll, I'll hand it over to you just to just to let the viewers know a little bit more about what the what the presentation's about and, and what they can expect. Yeah, sure. So, so look, we've titled it, Will This Historic Bull Market End With An Historic Bear Market? Um, but, but really what we want to do is take a bigger step, a, a bit of a step back and really look at the broader picture. So week to week on the podcast, we obviously deal with current issues and what's happening. What we're really trying to look at from, from uh, this presentation is, look, how can you put portfolios together um, in a in a big picture sense, and and whether you're going to use our expertise or whether you're going to um, use your own thoughts on it, and how can you use some of our funds within those to to, to sort of put portfolios together, and 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 sort of this this overarching um, concept of of how you should be looking at your um, uh, structuring your portfolio, and then how are we going to play it? So so I guess what I'm hoping is that you know regardless of whether you you agree with our thoughts or, or disagree with our thoughts, there'll be something in there for you to to talk about in terms of how to structure your portfolio, but then again, um, you know, what are we doing in terms of the, the longer term picture and what's our playbook for, for how we're looking to, to treat the next couple of years in terms of investments as, as a big picture sense. Nice one. Thanks for that demo. And uh, uh, we'll put the, I've just posted the link in the chat there so you can register for the event there. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to love to see some people um, come along. You know, it's the first live event we've done since COVID, so it'd be good to you know an opportunity for everyone to come down, listen to something a little bit different, and uh, we'll be available to have a bit of a chat and, and meet any potential uh, clients or existing clients. Um, yeah, so uh, please sign up. We'd love to see you there. Uh, so yeah, have you got anything else to add, Damon? Uh, a couple. Of, there's a question I think from Jude. It's well worth looking at yes okay so jude's asked uh how do you see the aussie bond outlook in the nucleus wealth growth growth portfolio uh some of them are having a, a tough time at the moment um, she also says love the show and the fund i think i think jude's a he but um there's a <laughs> apologies uh, jude there's i think the uh the, the key bit for, for for bonds particularly the long-term bonds which are the ones that have been hit the most is that look they are determined more by global um, events than they are by Australian events. So the short-term ones uh, get affected by by these um, this discussion we've been having about you know if we've got facing higher inflation or, or, or not within Australia. The long-term bonds really are um, affected by by the foreign um, by foreign bonds and in particular the US bonds. And so the question for these is, um, will we start to see uh, more of the uh, recessionary um, uh, indicators coming down the line? And when and, and as that comes, and central banks start to uh, start to ease up, is is when you see uh, bonds perform. So we saw actually when uh, the Aussie bonds, um, when, when the RBA uh, only raised rates by twenty five um, basis points rather than fifty, there was a massive um, effect on bonds globally, and and, and they all uh, shot up in value. Um, then we had the U.S. Uh, results come in, uh, U.S. jobs results come in better than expected and, and, and sort of reversed a lot of those gains. But I think that was a very good indicator of, look, when um, we do see signs that central banks are pulling back, uh, the movements in bonds are going to be very sharp and, and quite quick. 
in terms of uh, in terms of a reversal. So look, um, you know, I guess our hope was that you would have seen these effects before now. Uh, I think now is probably the not the time to be to be abandoning this uh, that that trade. I think there's um, you know, I guess the, the the thoughts we have is that you're either you're either on the the part where um, inflation is going to be embedded and um, and particularly from um, uh, from wages, and we'll, we'll go into more detail on that next week. But but if you've got that view that in, uh, that that inflation's embedded, it's going to be in with us for years, and and um, central banks are going to have to raise rates way higher than what they are at the moment. Then um, uh, then the bonds is the wrong call. If you're if you're more of our view that actually uh, the signs are all turning um, that that uh, you know we're in for a relatively big downturn and that uh, uh, we're going to see recession signs continue to emerge. So basically all the leading indicators have turned that way and, and we're starting to see some of the co- coincident uh, indicators turning that way, uh, then uh, the bonds is is, is a, uh, a trade that's sort of yet to yet to come good, but um, but we do think is, um, is is getting pretty ripe. Dave, I don't know if you've got any other thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, we, we've been dollar averaging into those bonds uh, as they've sold off. Uh, we were we were a bit early because we we were yeah way too early we, yeah well we were looking at um, in pre Ukraine war we were already averaging into some of those bonds because we could see that the uh, global goods inflation that was causing a great deal of panic was going to reverse pretty quickly but then we got this second round of inflation shock that came out of the Ukraine war and, and delayed that and so we continued to average in after that. Uh, and it really is a play on the end of cycle. I think even if you're uh, hawkish about uh, a structural shift towards inflation in the global economy uh, and or Australia, then uh, you still have to factor in the, you know, what I think is the base case, the strong base case that we're going to see a deflationary shock in the short term as central banks squash it which, you know, may rebound quickly afterwards, but, you know, this this is a play really on that end of cycle. That was what it was always about, even though it's been delayed and pushed it, pushed higher than we expected. So I, I'd agree with Damo that um, I wouldn't be getting out of that trade right now. Like, yeah, and actually the one thing we have discussed is, you know, is the... Um you know, is is the the worst case for us? You know, not the worst case, but you know, is it is there is a risk case for us that actually um, the bonds don't start rising until we see equities at the same time rising? You know, they they, they both they've both been going down together. Um, do you actually see the bottom of the cycle and and then both bond bond yields are falling and equities are rising at the same time? Now that might be the case, um, but I, but I I don't think so. I do think there will be a gap between the two in in terms of um, you'll get these recessionary signals. You'll still have falling earnings, um, and, and so you'll see the bond rally. Um, and it might be that the equity rally comes comes shortly after that, as you sort of you know as as equities start to as the sort of earnings starts to bottom. Um, but you know we we still do think there will be a uh, a reasonable period of time enough to within that that you'll see the bonds perform first and then um, it'll be time to as the bonds are performing it'll be time then to roll out of that and into uh, into equities once you start seeing central banks and um, governments sort of start to reverse and and provide support rather than um, rather than headwinds. Yeah, I mean that's the ideal. If it doesn't, if you end up in the circumstance where they rally together, well. Uh, you know, you're okay on anyway. Mm. Um, 
but the typical cycle would work in the way that the demo is describing. So yeah, uh, that's and, what we're positioned for. And I, and I think as well, you know, look, um, you know, obviously we, we we've rolled right out of equities um, and, and into bonds, and and bonds obviously hasn't been a a good performer for us over the last um, you know six or six or eight months. Uh, they have still outperformed the equities we were in, I suppose. So there's, you know, without sort of, you know, ideally we should have actually been in, in a lot of the shorter term bonds and, and played it for, from, from that perspective. But I think there's a, um, uh, you know, there's certainly an element of we've, we think we've we, we nailed the, the currency call, we've nailed the, the uh, equities call, we got the bonds one wrong, but we think that the bonds one is wrong in terms of being too early and, and we think that will come good and, um, and then, yeah, take it back into the, uh, into the next cycle from there. Yeah. Nice one, guys. Uh, so that almost wraps us up. Uh, so, yeah, just want to just want to thank you, Dave, uh, Damien. I know there's lots of people that appreciate you guys talking about this topic. You know, uh, raising awareness and and you know, it affects everyone. So it's uh, yeah. Just want to say thanks. Excellent. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Awesome. Yeah, so we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in uh, relation to uh, suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below uh, or send us an email at contact at nuclearswealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nuclearswealth.com forward slash contact and you can book a call with myself or one of the team. Don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. Also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with us, you can also follow us on all social media. Uh, so I will uh, have put the invite invite link into the comment section and we'll also have them in the uh, in the slides after the show. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to see you along at Meet the Managers next Wednesday at 6 p.m. in uh, Collins Street in Melbourne. Uh, so for myself, Damien, Dave, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.